Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. Tonight, I want you to ask you, if you will, to turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be reading out verses 25 through 28 this evening. And the thought that I want to share with you is this, why the C word is offensive, or is it? Why the C word is offensive, or is it? And I want to talk primarily tonight about character and commitment. But let's go into Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, and we pick up where Jesus is speaking. I love the passages. I love all the word. But there's something so enlightening when you read the red letters, the words that Jesus spoke. If you could just preach the word red letters, there's life. Amen? And often when Jesus spoke, you know, the Bible said he spoke not lest he spoke in parables. A parable is an earthly story that reveals a heavenly truth. So Jesus would speak to us in earthly stories. So if his audience was farmers or fishermen, he would speak to them in a story they could understand, but it would always reveal a heavenly truth. That's a parable. Somebody say parable. It is a good story. So Jesus was the greatest storyteller that ever lived. And so often when you see him speaking, not only is he speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to the community, but he's often giving the hidden meaning of what he said to his disciples at a later time. And Jesus, in this particular passage, the Bible says, but Jesus called them unto him and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. So here he's talking about authority, and he's talking about dominion, and he's saying that if you serve in a role of leadership in, these, uh, in this particular realm as a prince of the Gentiles, on and on, that you have authority and you have dominion upon those that are under you. But then he goes on to verse 6, 26 and says, but it shall not be so among you. Now let me stop there for a minute because everybody knows somebody who's bossy. If you know somebody that's bossy, just raise your hand. Don't point at anybody, but you know they just bossy. They put the boss in the sea. They are bossy. They boss everybody. They boss in all the time. I know I can see your face. There's some of you just, you just, you just itching to look at somebody. They just bossy. All of us have a bossy streak in us a time or two occasionally. Amen? Like to tell everybody what to do, but don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> oh, we're going to have a great time tonight. And he said, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And that says, really, that word minister there is your servant. If you're going to be great, he said, then you've got to first be the servant. You have to lead by example. You can't just get up here and hold a coffee cup all day and boss everybody around and not do anything yourself. We call that a straw boss. They just stand around and boss everybody. They don't know how to do anything but boss and drink coffee and take breaks. <laughs> he said, whoever is going to be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you. So he's contrasting great and chief. He said, be the chiefest among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, at the, I mean, this last part, he's talking about himself as the Son of Man came not to, be, not to be served. I didn't come to make sure that I get the best seat in the house and the best parking spot and a latte. It's not what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve others and give my life a ransom for many. So really, it's a, it's a, it's a motivation of the heart, how you present yourself. Are you, do you only serve if all your conditions and your checklist is met? Well, if they got the air conditioning right, I'll be there. If they let me sing my favorite song, I'll be there. If I get to play my instrument, I'll be there. But bless God, if I don't get to do this, count me out. That's critical spirit. In order to be used by God, you've got to become a servant to all. And how do I know that? Because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve other people and then give my life a ransom for many. 
So I want you to write this down. We are all leading someone right now. I don't know who you are or where you serve or what it is you do by occupation or by position, but no matter who you are, there's someone that is looking to you to follow your example. So that makes you a leader. Say, I'm a leader. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a leader. Now, being a leader doesn't necessarily mean that I'm always the person that's out front. But it does mean that you have someone that is, that is following you. They're following your example or who is looking to you to help them to know what to do. So you can even say your children are looking to you. Your grandchildren are looking to you to see what to do. Now, most people have heard of a, of a jet in America, anyway, it's called a Learjet. And it's a small jet that is named after a man that developed it. His name was Bill Lear, and this is a picture of him. Listen to this. Bill Lear held more than 150 patents of things he invented, including automatic pilot, car radio, and eight-track tapes. If you can remember what an eight-track tape is. And all of you that are younger than 30, those were things before CDs and cassettes, just so you know. <laughs> but in the mid-50s, Bill Lear saw the potential market to, small, to, to market small corporate jets, and it took 13 years for him to make that dream to come tr to pass. In 1963, he built the first Lear jet and flew it. In 1964, a year later, he developed his first Learjet to a client. And so his clients then began to buy the planes. And he became very, very successful in the mid-60s. But not long after, Lear learned that two of his jets that he had sold had crashed with mysterious circumstances. And he was devastated. At that time, he had sold 55 Learjets that he owned and so he called all the owners of those 55 jets and told them, ground your plane and do not fly it until I can figure out what the problem is. The danger of more lives being lost was more important to him than the adverse public reaction. So Lear began to research the problem and he couldn't nail down the exact causes of the problem. So he risked his own life and got in one of his own planes and flew the Learjet. It is told that he nearly crashed himself and barely made it out of the jet. But while he was in the air, he figured out the problem, and then he knew to order and build a new part that would correct what was wrong. After he built the part, he established it and sent it to all 55 owners of the Learjets and had them installed upon their plane. Grounding the planes, all 55 of them, cost him a lot of money, and it took him two years to build back the company from where the problem had occurred. Now, the reason I tell you the story is this, is that Bill Lear was willing to risk his success, his fortune, and his life to solve a problem. But he was not willing to risk his integrity. That is character. Come on, somebody. Write this down. How you deal with the circumstances of life tells a lot about your character. Crisis that we all experience doesn't necessarily make character out of us, but it sure does reveal character in us when we go through a crisis. When someone faces a problem, it makes them choose one of two paths, one of character or one of compromise. Every time a person chooses character over compromise, it makes them stronger, even if it creates a negative that they will eventually have to overcome themselves. The development of character is the, at the very heart of our development, not only as a leader, but as a human being and definitely as a Christian. I say this often that God is trying to develop character in me so I don't end up being a character that you read about in the funny papers or the cartoons. What do we know 
or need to know about character. Write this down. Character is more than talk. Anyone can say that they have integrity. Anyone could talk about how, how great they are and that have integrity. But, act, but, but action is a real indicator on whether or not they have character. Your character determines who you are. Come on. Who you are determines what you see. What you see determines what you do. Can I say that again? Character determines who you are. And who you are determines what you see. And what you see determines what you do. It goes right back into action. You can never separate a person's character from their action. Have you heard your mom say, actions speak louder than words? We understand that you can't separate someone's character from their action. If someone's actions and intentions are constantly working against each other, then we need to look deeper into their character to find out why and where is the root issue that they're not keeping their word or they are doing things in secret or they are just not good to do business with. Can you say amen? Write this down, talent is a gift, but character is a choice. Now, I'm laying a foundation here. Talent is good, but character is a choice. We don't have a lot of control over things in our lives, things like parents. We didn't get to choose our parents. Many of you, you know what I'm saying. You didn't get to choose where you came from. You get, didn't get to choose where you were born. You didn't get to choose where you were raised up. But you can choose your own character. You can choose how you will respond in life, how you will look at life. As a matter of fact, we create our character. We can cop out or we can dig out of a bad situation. We can bend the truth or we can stand for it under the weight of it. We can take the easy way out or we can pay the price based upon who we are on the inside, our character our integrity. The way you choose to live creates your character and your character creates who you are. Write this down. Character brings lasting success with people. If you're going to be a leader on any level, you have to have success with people. Do you remember the proverb that said, if you think you are leading and no one's following you, you're just taking a walk. In the church, your profession or your family or followers don't trust leaders whose character is flawed. And they will not continue to follow them if their character is flawed. Now, I know we live in a day of grace. And I know that we need to be graceful to people just as we would want to receive grace in our life. It's easy sometimes to sit in our high seat of hypocrisy and look down our nose and point our bony finger at other people when they mess up, when they have a problem. But the Bible said in Galatians 6 that if you see your brother overtaken with a fault, ye which are spiritual are ought to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering your own self, lest you be tempted with the same thing. In other words, how you treat other people, you want them to treat you. If you're hard and nasty and rude and, 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 and just condescending, that's how people are going to treat you. So you've got to sow into integrity and sow into character and sow into grace. Come on. So that when you need grace and you need character and you need help, it'll come back to you. Can I get a big amen out there? I believe it's important that we understand that people are following us and people today are not looking for a perfect leader because at this point in the game, we understand that ain't none of us perfect. Although that's not an excuse to explain away and say, well, I'm just flesh. <laughs> you have to understand people will follow you even if you will admit your fault and say, you know what? I messed up. Forgive me. People will follow you. Write this down. We will never be better than our character. 
Proverbs says that in so many words, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we're never better than our character. Our character determines who we are, and we are the ones who develop it. Come on, church. I, I, I heard an illustration I thought was worth sharing with you that a man took his daughter to a carnival, and she ran to a booth and told the man that she wanted cotton candy. And he handed her this huge ball of cotton candy, and her daddy told her, says, sweetheart, uh, are you sure you can eat all of that? And her response said, don't worry, Daddy. I'm a lot bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. <laughs> and that's what character is. It makes you a lot bigger on the inside, come on, than it does on the outside. And as leaders, we have to develop our character, and we have to develop the right kind of character by making a commitment to integrity. We have to decide that we are not going to compromise what we believe in regardless of the consequences or the struggles that it may bring. If I give you my word, then I must follow up with that word. If I bid a job for you and we agree on a price, even if Lowe's raises the price, I got to hold my word to you. I got to keep my word. I can't change things midstream. I have to keep my word even if it's to my own hurt. Because we had a bond. Are you here? Now, I knew of a minister that was traveling around the country and using people's names to get him into churches to preach. And there's a lot of that that goes around it's a lot of name dropping and networking. You'd be surprised the number of people who tried to badmouth big name preachers to me only to see them run to them and salivate at their feet after they talked about them like a dirty dish rag because they're name droppers. And they like to network. And they like to be seen with so-and-so. <laughs> and this particular minister was like that, always going around and had a gimmick all the time. And he had developed this gimmick where he was giving away free Rolex watches to churches, to pastors in churches. So he'd come to a church and try to give them a Rolex watch that they could turn around and sell for their building program and get the money out of that Rolex and do that and everybody keep going. Well, he happened to give this Rolex watch to a preacher, a pastor of a church, and the pastor of the church took the Rolex watch down to the jewelry store to see how much money he could get out of it, and they informed him that it was a fake. So word got back, as it always does, in the church grapevine. <laughs> And they approached the man and said, you giving away fake Rolexes. His response was, oh no, that, that must be a mistake. That must be a, he said, I will make it right. And so to make it right to this one particular pastor who found him out, he went and spent $10,000 on a Rolex watch and got it to him. But it would later come out that he stole the $10,000 from another church in order to buy the Rolex. Are you talking about character? Talking about integrity? And I'm not going to say their name. They don't need to. But what I'm saying is, people like that, I have to walk, watch very closely. When people call our church and say, hey, preacher, I want to preach over at Bethel Family Worship Center. The reason they call is because this is a fruitful place. And if they know that if they come here, they're going to be treated well, and they're going to be, going to be easy to preach in, and they're going to be loved and taken good care of because we're not, a, we're not a church that does people wrong. The Bible says a man who is worthy of his hire. 
so, and to give double honor to them that have sowed the word of God. And so we take good care of the people that minister in our church and come in and, and, and minister. That's why we get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> come on, because word travels fast in the ministry grapevine. <laughs> Let me just say amen out there to myself. And, and so we've had a lot of people and they'll say, well, I know so-and-so and I know this person and this person. And one of the first questions that I ask them is, who's your daddy? Who is your spiritual father? Who is your covering? Who knows that you are making a phone call to me? And if I were to call them, what report would they give me? You say, well, pastor, do you have to go through all that? Oh, you better believe. You better go through every hurdle you can go through because you just, can br you just can't bring anybody in. And they do all kinds of damage for years of where you've been sowing a seed and setting a culture in the house and somebody come in and tear the whole thing up in one weekend because uh, of their flesh and they're not integrous. Come on, somebody. Doing secret things, sending people their phone numbers, doing all kinds of stuff behind people's backs. Listen, I learned as an evangelist, and my pastor taught me, Pastor Hill, who's sitting right here on the front row, taught me when you go into someone else's house to preach, you do exactly what they ask you to do. Nothing more and nothing less. Yes, the Holy Ghost will move, and yes, the Lord of the Spirit will be there, but you don't go in there and try to pull rabbits out of hats. You just go in and do what the Lord has, uh, has opened a door for you. You are respectful, respectful to the angel of the house because you want God's blessing upon you. And if you're out of order, there will not be a blessing that'll come upon you. And all the way you have to find out what's in somebody's heart and in their attitude and in their spirit is give them a microphone. And if they take over and they do more than what they're asked to do and they try to showboat and they start doing all kinds of crazy stuff, you will reap that later. Later. And I'm the one that has to pastor that mess when they go out. When they've called everybody into the ministry, called people to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and raised offerings for people, and did all kinds of stuff while they had the microphone in their hand, and I just had to sit there and say, they'll never be back again. Why? Because we are subject to the Holy Spirit. And the spirit is subject to the prophet. What that means is I would never go into a Baptist church and start speaking in tongues, hand, running the aisles and laying hands on people and prophesying because that would cause confusion. You have to reach a certain season of maturity in your life and character where you know how to become all things to all people that you might win some. Character will keep you. Talent may get you in the door but character will keep you there. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. So integrity is important. The next thing we need to look at is commitment. Somebody say character, character. and commitment. Amen. Now, let me tell you a story about a great artist you know by the name of Michelangelo. Michelangelo was probably the greatest artist of all Western civilization. It is said that he was born to be a sculptor and he sculpted his first masterpiece at a young age of 21. But when he received an invitation from Pope Julius II to sculpt a tomb for the Pope, he was then asked to work on a painting project instead. At first, he refused because he had no desire to paint 12 figures on the ceiling of a small chapel in the Vatican, but he then accepted the assignment. And once he accepted the project, he committed himself to it and expanded it from 12 figures to more than 400 figures and nine scenes out of the book of Genesis. For four grueling years, he laid on his back and painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It wore him down and it even damaged his eyesight. He later said, after four tortured years, more than 400 life-size figures, I felt as old and weary as Jeremiah. I was only 37, and yet my friends did not recognize the old man that I had become. His commitment to the task caused other artists to change their style of painting, and it is affected even art today. 
His talent was great, but it would, none of it would have mattered if it were not for his commitment. When he was asked why he was working so hard in a dark corner in the Sistine Chapel that no one would ever see, he replied, but God will see. And the world has never seen a great leader who did not have commitment. You've got to have commitment. You've got to have a stick-to-itiveness. You've got to say, I'm in it to win it. I won't backslide. I won't back up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I don't care who says what. I'm going to stand long enough. My integrity will speak for me. I will stand long enough that my commitment will bring a new power. And I come to prophesy to somebody here tonight, just because you're committed, there will be a new power released over you in this last season before we usher in the coming of the Lord. It's going to require a commitment from somebody, no matter what comes your way, whether it is sickness, whether it is poverty, or if it is a disaster, I will not retreat. I will not go backward. I'm not backsliding for nobody. I'm not going to hell for nobody. I've got a commitment. I'm in it. I'm all in. High five somebody and say, Lucille, I'm all in. And I've discovered as a pastor for the last 23 years that commitment is, means different to different people. I never thought I'd see the way people church, attend church now, what they did pre-COVID and what they do post-COVID. <laughs> Thank you, Wednesday Night Crowd, for that big amen. To the boxer, it's getting off the mat one more time even though you've been knocked down. To a marathon runner, it's running another 10 miles when you have already exhausted all your strength. To a soldier, it's going over the next hill not knowing what is waiting for you on the other side. To a missionary, it's saying goodbye to your own comfort so you can make people's lives better than yours. To a leader, it's all that and more because everyone that you lead is depending on you. And I've thought about I'm nobody from nowhere, but if I just walked up here tonight and said I'm done, I'm tired of everything, I'm tired of stress, I'm tired of dealing with attitude, I'm tired of dealing with personalities and principalities sometimes together the same, I'm tired of this and I'm tired of that, put a fork in me, I'm done, I'm out of here. Uh, God bless y'all, have at it, enjoy the rest of your life. But I cannot do that, number one, because there is a calling upon my life that says I didn't call you when it was convenient. I didn't call you when you were always going to be up. I called you when you would also be down. I called you when you had nobody to look up to but me. I called you when you had to preach even when you were sick. I called you when people betrayed you and lied on you and did all kinds of crazy stuff, but your professional etiquette meant you could not say a word. You just had to stand still and watch me perform a work in the, in the whole situation. I'm telling you, there are too many people depending on you. You cannot quit. Your kids can, are depending on you. You cannot quit. Your family is dependent on you. You cannot quit. You may be the only Christian in your family, but don't you dare quit. People will believe in you enough to follow you and benefit from what you have to share only if they see that you stayed with it and you did not quit. They're watching. Believe me, everybody's watching you. Everybody's got their eye on you. If we want people to believe in what we're trying to do as a church, then we as members have to be committed to make it worth their while to believe. I can't ask you to commit to Wednesday night if I don't commit to Wednesday night. That's just a freebie right there. We have all kinds of outreaches and big events. Why would you plan something else on the night or the day of our big event when you've known for a year? It's our opportunity. <laughs> Preaching there, Pastor. <laughs> Write this down. Commitment starts in the heart. Everybody seems to want everything perfect before they'll commit themselves to anything. But that's not the way it happens. 
I committed to Pastor Bev when we got married. We didn't even know what love was. You don't know what love is until you've had no money in the bank. And you got nothing left but a can of chicken noodle soup, and it's all you got, in the, and, it's, and it's holding up the egg, edge of the, of the couch because it's missing a leg. That's all you got left. You don't know what love is until you pull up to an ATM and can't even get $10 out to get a Happy Meal. That's when they sing that old country song, Living on Love. That's what you live. <laughs> you didn't have no money. That's all you had to live on was love. And you better make sure it was love. <laughs> Commitment always comes before you ever see an achievement. You got to be committed. Things will not get to the point that they're supposed to be if you've not committed yourself to make a fresh start and stay with it. When Beverly and I came to Bethel Family Worship Center 23 years ago, I said to the church then, and I'll say it again tonight, I want to be a lifelong pastor. I want to live long enough, should the Lord tarry his coming, to marry, your, marry people in our church, the babies in our church, and to bury all of our people. In other words, what I meant is I want to be a lifelong pastor. And now, talk about feeling old, dur, older, Some of the children that we dedicated, we're now dedicating their children. That's a lifelong pastor. But I'm going to tell you, you know how many times I wanted to quit? Come on, can we be real? You know how many times I said, I'm done. I am D-O-N-E. I am done. I read this, and it really made me think that in the Kentucky Derby, the winning horse effectively runs out of oxygen after the first half mile. Goes, it goes the rest of the way by heart. Michael Jordan said, heart is what separates the good from the great. Did you hear that, LeBron? <laughs> now, I'm from Akron, Ohio, and I root for LeBron. But they ain't never going to be a Michael, another Michael Jordan. Let me just go ahead and hide from all of you <laughs> trying to throw darts at me. Mm-hmm. They still selling his shoes, and he don't even play. <laughs> Write this down. Commitment is tested by action. It's easy to talk about commitment. It's another thing altogether to do something about it. Action is the real measure of commitment. Amen? Jesus said, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is even fit for the kingdom of God. So that basically means until you're committed enough to what you believe, to not thinking about turning back, it is only words. And you're not even committed to follow through. You've got to stay with it. When Beverly and I got married 30 plus years ago, <laughs> 31 years ago, am I right? Am I right? She don't remember it. <laughs> I need help, Pastor. We learned the first, the first seven years as the tribulation years. That's, I mean, I mean, I mean, we loved each other. There ain't no doubt about it. We loved each other. We was 20 years old when we got married. I don't recommend it. Now, you know, you say, well, I'm in love. No, you're in lust. Let's just be honest. You're not in love yet. You're in lust. Love will come later. Real love, I mean. Real love. I'm just trying to help you. And those first seven years were rough. We had to learn to live together. We had to learn to manage our money. We had to learn to tithe. We had to learn how to work in ministry. We started off in ministry. That's hard. And then at times, we'd just be getting into a big old messy fight and argument, and then had to go preach. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're talking about being humble. That'll humble you down. Pastor Bev would say, I'm calling the pastor and telling on you. And I'd say, go ahead and tell it. <laughs> and then we'd change our tune and get along. I mean, 
you learn each other. You have to learn each other. You don't quit. Now, I'm just trying to help somebody here. We ha ultimately, we had to come to a place where we took the word divorce out of our vocabulary. And we made a promise to one another that we were never going to throw up the word divorce again. That was a commitment we made. Because I'm telling you, as long as you're dangling that divorce carrot and got your secret accounts, I hear the Holy Ghost in here. You got to take the word divorce out of your vernacular if you're going to be committed. Let me, let me give you a, a couple more here. Commitment opens the door to achievement. I'm just about done. There's always going to be obstacles and opposition. But if you're truly committed, it won't stop you. It won't stop you. Commitment is the enemy of resistance. <laughs> because commitment says, I'm going to press on. I'm going to get up. No matter how many times I get knocked down, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw in the towel. Oh, Pastor Hilton ain't going to be here on Sunday. I think I'm going to sleep in. That's why I don't tell people when I'm not going to be here. Because I know there's some carnal saints that are moved by people's preaching rather than the vision and the commitment to the house. Oh, nobody wants to amen me there. Commitment will make me keep going. Commitment will say, I don't care who preaching. I need the word. I don't care who's doing what. I need the word. When it comes to commitment, there are four types of people. I'm almost done. Let me give you these four types of people as they come. Are you ready? You have the cop-outs. The cop-outs are the people who have no goals and they commit to nothing. Got no goals and they commit to nothing. They cop-out. I don't want us to build a church full of cop-outs. Well, it gets a little rough. I'm having a hard time this month. So you're not going to see me till the next, next church chicken dinner. Then I'll show up for the free food and act like I'm getting a blessing. Cop-outs are people who have no goals and they commit to nothing. They go wherever the wind takes them. But they're going to use me over here. They're going to use, you've got to root yourself in. You gotta, if you really want to be used, you've got to root in long enough till fruit comes out of your life. So the cop-outs, and number two, you have the holdouts. The holdouts are people who don't know if they can reach their goals, and since they don't know if they can, they never commit to trying. I'm afraid I won't be able to do it, so I'm going to hold out. Well, we need you to serve in the nursery. Well, you know, I don't, I've not had a good experience with children. We need you to be a greeter. Well, you know, we need you to ush. Well, you know. You know, last time I tried to usher somebody, they cussed me out, so I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> They're afraid to commit to try. They're holding out. What are they holding out for? Perfect conditions. Well, when the weather's right. If it's not raining this month, you might see me. Once my kids get out of school, I'll have a bigger schedule. To, I'll have a, feel more fluid. Hold now. Here's number three, the dropouts. People who start toward the goal but quit because the going got rough. I hear you, amen. Go ahead and amen back there. People who start toward the goal but quit when the going got tough. They dropped out. They dropped out. Now, don't point and don't say anybody's name out loud. But we all know people who dropped out. And it's not... To, to ridicule them and make fun of them. That's not the point. The point is to keep you from dropping out. You don't want that to be your history. It is a sad commentary when the little children have to say to their parents, Mom and Daddy, can we go back to that church where they had this and they had that? And Mom and Daddy like, no, we mad. We upset at the pastor. We ain't going back. <laughs> That's what they're going to remember. Dropouts. A lot of people drop out. I'm not talking about just our church. I'm talking about life in general. Things get a little rough, we drop out. We drop out of relationships because we can't get along. 
come to church with people and you can't even shake their hand? Turn around, turn the other way, talk about people under your breath. Shame on you. <laughs> people drop out. Some people drop out because they didn't get a phone call. Wonder why I missed a few services. They never did call me. So I'm going to miss a few more and see if they will call me. I've been gone for six weeks. They still ain't called. Then there are some people you call too much. Man, all they do is call me. They, they're blowing my phone up. They're pestering me to death. Leave me alone. I want to come late and leave early, and I don't want to be bothered. <laughs> and here's number four, the all-outs. Yes, you knew I was coming here. People who set goals commit to reach them, but they pay the price to get there. To pay the price to get there. Amen. And it feel good when you accomplish something and you look back over your shoulder and say, I did that by the grace of God. He kept me. What's where the Bible said he will keep your feet from falling? The Bible says to set your face like a flint, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finish of your faith. Don't turn loose, be an all out, be committed, be all in. I say this to our church, and I want to say it to you, especially to the leaders in the house and people that we're raising in ministry right now. We need more all-outs. We need a church full of all-outs that show up to everything they can. Teachers who make a commitment to teach. If you say you're going to be in the nursery on the third Sunday of the month, don't wait till Saturday night. Call off and cause everybody to have to scramble. That don't speak well of your character. If you give your word, you show up unless you're dead. And even then, we'll bring you to church and preach your funeral and speak nice things over you. <laughs> I mean, you got to be in it, and it's not an option to quit. It's not an option not to show up. We never leave the church in the lurch. If I know that I have to be out of town, don't you think I prepare somebody to speak in this pulpit? I don't just not show up. Everybody's scrambling on the front row. It's a countdown video. It's almost time. It's, what are we going to do? Who's, who's going to lead? To, to... Ushers on their earpiece. <laughs> Somebody trying to look at their Bible. Do I have any notes that I could preach if they asked me to? <laughs> I don't leave the church in the lurch. If I'm a musician, I make sure all the musician spots are filled before I go do my song and dance. Amen. If I'm a teacher, I make sure I teach. I keep my word. I mean, if everybody did what they're supposed to do, man, you'd, it'd be like clockwork. Everybody just be greasy, like a greasy wheel. We're getting it all done. We need some more people to become all outs. What are you waiting on? COVID's over. Now I know that, well, there's still residuals. Yes, there is. Just like there's the flu, just like there's everything else that's been there. We're going to have to learn to go on. And we're going to take every precaution. You and I together, we'll all figure it out. So we're not putting anybody down, but I'm saying this excuse of being lazy and say, well, I just don't know if I want to do it. You've got to, you got to step it up. If Bethel's going to become what God called us to do, we need some all outs. Y'all to shout, you should have shouted me down right there. We need some all outs. We need some all outs. Cop outs, hold outs, drop outs, and all outs. We need some all outs. Would you stand to your feet tonight? We need more character and commitment. This is what I felt like preaching tonight. This is what I since the Lord said to, to preach. I've, been pre I've preached five or six times this week. Traveled to Michigan, Oklahoma, different places preaching the gospel. Been an opportunity as a pastor. My, I am a reflection of you. And when invitations come to speak around this country, it's because of the work that's been established here through Bethel Family Worship Center. And I, 
I sing God's praise about this church everywhere I go. Not just in person, but on the internet. I promote this church. I promote every service, every event, and wonder why when we put something out that our people, our own people, and even people on payroll don't even support or show or share what we're doing. If we're gonna build a church, then we gotta brag about what God's doing in the place that we love. You gotta promote what's promoting you. You gotta feed what's feeding you. Somebody said, Pastor, that's just too harsh. Good, good. We didn't just come in this way and just say, well, I'm just here. If you're just here because you've got nowhere else to be, you're in the wrong place. We need to all be pulling in the same direction. Stretch out across the aisle. Would you do that? Just everybody join hands across the aisle. And if you don't feel comfortable holding somebody's hand, grab their elbow. I'm going to tell it like it is. We need some all outs. I want you to look at the person to your left, and then I want you to look. Well, make sure you do it so you can get both people. Ask someone and then ask the person on the other side of you. Ask them, are you an all out? Now let them respond. Let them respond to you. Now don't you say yes. If, don't you lie. I know all of you said, well, yeah, yeah. But your actions will prove it. Amen. Boy, it's hard preaching in here. Man, they just skinned me alive tonight, that old pastor. Father, we're holding hands with one another tonight because we're a body of people that are moving forward in faith. We believe that we're in the, we are the generation that's going to welcome the coming of the Lord. We believe that we're the generation that's going to receive the rapture of the church. We believe that prophetic fulfillment is upon us. And God, we're looking up to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we're saying that, God, whatever you want to do through Bethel Family Worship Center, God, do it in this house and do it through these people who have committed themselves not only to character but to commitment. I pray a covering be upon them. And, oh, God, I thank you for the covering that you've put upon this house, that there is favor on this house, that there is blessing upon this house, and all those who are attached to it, there is favor and blessing upon their life. Not because of us, God, but because of you. You said, I'll build a church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to thank you for the Bethel Family Worship Center that we've become since 1961. You have shaped us and formatted us and brought us into this new and living way. I thank you for every sacrifice that was made on West 10th Street in Hallville. I thank you for every sacrifice that was made near the airport. I thank you, God, for every sacrifice was made on High School Road. I thank you, God, for every every sacrifice being made on Lyndhurst Drive. God, till the coming of the Lord, until you broaden us and lengthen our stakes and drive us farther, I pray, God, that there will be an increase to the coming of the Lord. There will be an increase of souls, an increase of vision, and that our families will witness all of it. In the blood name of Jesus, I decree healing over our people and I decree wholeness. I decree an apostolic reformation over your people. A father, son, a mother, daughter anointing that will rest upon this house. I, I speak a church planting anointing upon this house. I speak expansion upon this house. But we need people, God, who are all out, who are not passive, who are not just coming to church, but people who are inviting people to come into the kingdom of God. And I pray, God, that every leader in this house would have a moment of conviction in their heart, just like I have, where you would convict me that I would not become stagnant or stale, that I would be fresh. I pray for every leader, every pastor, every staff member. I pray for every deacon, every elder, every minister, every ministry coach every dream teamer that there would be a freshness among us Jesus don't 
Don't let us become passive, just existing, going through the motions, waiting on our next and not fulfilling our now. You're a faithful God and I wanna be faithful to you. Thank you, like Paul said, that you saw me fit and put me in the ministry. God, I wanna say thank you. Now come on, you're holding hands with somebody. Squeeze them a little tighter, squeeze them a little tighter. Say, I mean this for you. Come on, tell them out loud. I mean for you to have this. This anointing that God wants to pour out of, com of commitment and courage and character. That we will not give up. We're all out. 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 Now, you still got your hands connected. That means we're connected as a body. But in your own heart, I want you to repent of anything that's kept you from being an all out. An attitude, laziness, discouragement, despondence, disgruntledness, a critical spirit, whatever it's been, repent of it. Repent of it. God wants to take the church up. And so we repent of anything that is unlike God and we will promote what's promoting us because we want to build your kingdom, God. We want to be a city set on a hill. But we can't be city set on the hill if we're hiding our bulrush or we're hiding our light under a bulrush. We got to lift the candle up so the whole world can see. Help us to be that kind of leader at Bethel Family Worship Center. Let me be that kind of leader in my neighborhood to the people behind me, in front of me, to beside me. Let them know, let me let them know that I am a Christian, a born again believer, as I witness my faith. Father, I thank you for commitment in this house. Now I want you just to thank God for every commitment because there's a lot of committed people in this church. I preached hard, but I know the value of this place and I know the value of you. I know you are worth a great price, hallelujah. This is a good house, this is a good church, this is a good Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 